As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show's live trade deadline special. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. Over the course of the next hour or so, we're going to break down the frenzy of trades that have taken place really over the last 96 hours or so. Obviously, a huge day on Tuesday. we got about 30 minutes before the deadline hits us at 6 Eastern. And something tells me, you know, we're not done with moves yet. Not even close. There's still a, a bevy of names out there uh, waiting for Wilson Contreras, Noah Syndergaard. You know, there's some big names still out there. I, I don't know uh, if the A's guys with team control, I think we would have heard some smoke about Sean Murphy and Romo and Laureano if they were going to get traded, but they could still get traded. So there's, uh, there's some late news on Pablo Lopez to maybe the Dodgers. So there's still some big names out there, but uh, it's pretty, pretty hectic. I think this has been one of the better deadlines I can remember. I mean, I think the trade of the day, of course, is the <laughs> block. I don't know which one you're talking trade. about. <laughs> who, what could it possibly be? It's the Juan Soto and Josh Bell trade going to the Padres. C.J. Abrams, Robert Hassel, Mackenzie Gore, Harleen Sasana, James Wood, and we found out at the end, Luke Voigt all going back to the Nationals. This isn't the only move that the Padres made. This this was the trade that really shocked the baseball world, even though from the beginning, I thought the Padres with that trio of young players, especially had the core you were looking for to possibly get a deal done. And just seeing it alongside the other moves the Padres have made makes this an exciting day to be a Padres fan. Yeah, it's crazy. They gave up Victor Acosta, who is one of their top prospects, too, for Brandon Drury. And that's that's a bit, bit of a rental and a, and a guy who's done most of the damage in Cincinnati. So they've really just pushed all their chips in. I mean, with the hater deal and with the uh, with the deal for, um, uh, for Soto, they, you know, that's uh, there's nothing left. <laughs> you know, They got Luis Camposano. And uh, some looking to the left and looking to the right. So mm-hmm. uh, I like it. I love the uh, the the chips all in approach. Um, you know, it's not just chips all in on one 
deadline, I don't think, because they get Soto for another couple of years. And um, so it's not all just now. Plus, I think with the trade of Eric Hosmer to Boston, they might have just opened up a little bit of salary for next year and the year after uh, that they can play with to continue to sort of add depth around their their core. But the core here, Tatis, Soto, Machado, and I'm gonna, you know, I'm a Cronenworth guy, so I'm gonna throw him in there. But I obviously he's like the the fourth musketeer, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but but he's the kind of player you need, right? Like they they you know even with Profar, even with the the problems, you know the 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 shortcomings he's had as a player. Like now you've got a real team, you know. Now you've got the and he dressed. I think the worst part of the Padres offense is. They are below average when it comes to getting on base. They're below average when it comes to chasing at balls outside the zone. They're below average at barreling. And lo and behold, you get basically the best play discipline god, uh, you know, in Juan Soto. And then both of them are good at barreling the ball. And they're going to replace two of the worst positions on that team. And frankly, among the contenders, you know, that right field outfit, that right field position for the Padres and first base were among the worst single spots for any of the contenders. So you kind of take some of your worst spots among contenders to the best. And I was looking at the projections. I think the Padres are going to move into the top five uh, with this. So I think it's a legitimate move. You know, sometimes when you make these little moves, you're like, Oh, I got a half win here, a half win here. No, they, they, they moved up about three, four wins uh, in two months uh, with this trade. And so I think they're a legitimate top five team, which makes them a contender uh, to win it all. Yeah, we talked about them and how they stack up to the Dodgers about three weeks ago now. At that time, the Padres offense, which has been without Tatis all season long, was a tick below league average. You think about them now adding Soto, hopefully getting Tatis back soon. That definitely closes the gap on their biggest weakness. I think in terms of bullpen firepower, that Josh Hader trade, which is just sort of lost in the shuffle, that makes them a lot better too. And one of the strengths of this team really for the last few seasons has been bullpen depth, but now they get one of the game's premier relievers in a swap that sends Taylor Rogers, who'd struggled recently, back to Milwaukee. Uh, So how much better are the Padres now in the late innings after making that move? You know, it's fair to wonder because haters hit some bumps in the road, just like Rogers. And so I think it's a, it's actually an interesting question. So haters release point has dropped maybe an inch or two. It's a very small amount, but his release point is very important to his deception because he pitches from way out here, but he pitches kind of overhand from way out here. Um, so if it, if it drops a little bit, it can affect his stuff. If you look at his stuff plus numbers, they are kind of up and down. Um, and, so are Rogers's. Now Rogers's are just down for two months because I think he made a poor decision. He went to a sweeper slider, added two to two inches of horizontal movement, but lost vertical movement, lost velocity, uh, and lost command of that pitch and lost stuff overall. What's easier to do? Tell Taylor Rogers, throw your old slider again, or get haters release point back to where it was, you know, a month ago. Um, I think that's almost a philosophical question or maybe one that a pitching coach would better be able to tell us. Uh, but if you just look at the entirety of what they've done, yes, Hader is better than Taylor Rogers and they got better. And I think this is interesting to, to, to watch today. They had um, uh, Devin Williams who's taken over for him and this is a great opportunity for him. 
sounding so sad <laughs> because he, you know it's just like he he's like why did we get worse at the deadline we're in first place i, I know you're trying to rile me up and <laughs> i'm gonna stay calm because we have a long way to go but i'll say it with 22 minutes and change before the deadline. I don't fully understand this approach if you're in the Brewers position because they're not a team on the bubble for a wild card. I understand playing the middle and thinking more about the future if you're in the position of the Red Sox right now. Uh, even if you're in the position of a team like the Phillies, it's more about how do you make your team better, not just for the rest of this season, but for 2023 and beyond. The Brewers should have been more in an all-in sort of mode. Maybe they'll make one more move and I'll stand corrected, but I Trevor think Trevor Rosenthal. Well, yeah, Trevor Rosenthal. They got Matt Bush in a small trade with the Rangers on Monday night. There's more depth in that bullpen, but one of the things that made the Brewers so dangerous the last couple of postseasons was if they protected a lead, they got to the seventh inning in a close game. It was over. You turn it over to last year it was Boxberger and then Devin Williams and Hader. And you just felt like that was it. I realized it didn't quite play out that way. Freddie Freeman had that huge home run off of Hader that eventually led to the Brewers being eliminated. But I think taking away from that strength is something that could be particularly costly. Looking back at the Padres for just a moment, they'll see the Dodgers 12 more times this year. So it's a big lead in the NL West. They could chew into that. And obviously this is more about what happens in the postseason than where exactly they might be seated going into it. But I think... If you're the Padres, you're now comparing yourself to the Yankees, to the Dodgers, to the elite of the elite teams, to the Mets, to the Braves, anybody else you put in that conversation, the Astros, the Padres are absolutely in the thick of things. Uh, and Josh Bell, an afterthought, the second player in this deal, becomes even more important because Luke Voigt was shipped away as part of the trade. So they actually get a bit of an upgrade there going from Voigt to Bell in the everyday lineup. Yeah, I mean, Bell, uh, Voight was uh, surging barrel-wise, but uh, I looked at his last 30, and he was below league average by WRC+. Plus, so that surging didn't quite turn into a remaking <laughs> or a refinding of the Fountain of Youth, I think. Uh, the Bell-Voight the Bell upgrade and the, and the Soto-Hosmer upgrade, you know, both of them are huge and, uh, and important. And, you know, as uh, the fact that Bell is a switch hitter, uh, is also important because when you bring Drury in, um, now you can play the sort of righty-lefty game, you know, in the corner outfield or a DH or at second base. You can you can move guys around. You become much more versatile and flexible, which are uh, GM buzzwords that are very important. <laughs> uh, but what you can also do is just plug in Josh Bell wherever. DH, he can play some outfield, first base. As a switch hitter, you don't have to platoon that spot anymore. Eric Hosmer was becoming so useless against lefties that you kind of had to platoon him, which meant Cronenworth sliding over to first. Who plays at second behind Cronenworth? Yeah, it, it creates a leak eventually when yeah. you operate that way. Uh, we will dig a lot into the Nationals' long-term outlook a little bit later on in the show. We're going to focus on the contenders here at the uh, the top part of the show. Let's get to the Yankees for a few minutes here, you know, because obviously they've had a very active deadline stretching all the way back to the addition of Andrew Benintendi at the end of last week. But 
it really seemed like the need for starting pitching became urgent with the injury to Luis Severino. They go out and they get Frankie Montas from the A's along with Lou Trevino as another uh, bullpen booster. And they give up four young players, three pitchers in the return, Ken Waldachuk, J.P. Sears, Luis Medina, and Cooper Bowman, an infielder, I believe, at high A right now, all going back to the A's in this trade. Comparing it to what the Reds got in the return, for Luis Castillo, it seems a tad on the light side, but the help of Frankie Montas, of course, could be a factor in the difference between those two packages. Yeah, you had to see the velo bump, uh, the velo loss uh, that came with the the shoulder problems that Montas reported earlier uh, this season. So I guess that made people nervous, but I actually don't think that that's the only reason that this this came in the way it did. I think that the A's are hyper-focused on near and ready, and they just love double-A, triple-A, you know, up-and-down guys. And, you know, that describes at least Sears and Waldachuk, who are, I would guess, leading uh, this package. But just compare it to the Reds package that has two shortstops in it. Yes, the shortstops are young. Yes, they're far away. Yes, it may not work out. Yes, there's so many things that can go wrong. But gosh, would I rather have Noel Vis Martinez than, than and, and Mar- uh, wait, did I say it wrong? Yeah, Noel Vis Marte. Noel Vis Marte. I'd rather have him than any of these guys. Uh, sorry to these guys. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I even got, uh, I even got uh, some feedback from, uh, you know, some A's players on a similar level. So it's, it's something that they see. It's something that uh, is weird. They've had success with Cole Irvin and Paul Blackburn taking guys with multiple pitches that have command. None of them look that good by stuff. I have heard that, you know, some, something people think that the A's think that stuff is too expensive on the market because now teams all have stuff metrics. They're all looking for stuff. So, you know, now the A's are kind of pivoting and doing what they always do. That's the money ball part of it is they're saying, hey, if stuff is so expensive, let's get guys with a bunch of pitches in command. And so Sears could be that guy. But I would I would say personally, you could probably get five Sears and get one Blackburn out of him. So, you know, I think that's part of uh, why I'm not super into this package. But maybe it works with their park, with their philosophy, with what's worked in the past. Maybe, you know, they'll get two starting pitchers out of this and two starting pitchers with years of control over one starting pitcher who has to go and is getting more expensive. I guess that's the deal. Yeah. I mean, do you feel when you look at all the moves the Yankees made, Benintendi, Scott Efros, part of that too, did they do enough to fix their weaknesses? And again, maybe they could make like a move it. here in the next 15 minutes. How do you feel about the overall upgrades that Brian Cashman made? I like it. And one of the reasons I like it is if you think about the Yankees, you think, like huge fire breathing, you know, throw hard, hit hard, miss hard kind of guys. I think Benintendi is not that. Um, I think Scott Efrost throws from a really interesting arm angle that kind of gives him more of that A's approach where it's like, hey, we've got all these different arm angles. It's not just, you know, kind of over the top righties that throw real hard and have spin and, and have a breaking ball off that, you know? So, you know, I think those two guys give him different looks. I like that. And then I'm a Montas guy. Like, you know, I saw somebody uh, telling me he wasn't a one or two. I don't know if he's a, like a true one. And we had this discussion on the three O show. I mean, on the on rates and barrels, like even people doubt if Luis Castillo is a true one. So if Luis Castillo is not a true one, then Frankie Montas is not a true one for me, but you know, there's still room for a two. You have a one. Cole. You go Cole, Montas. I mean, I think that's better. 
then you can mix and match with all those other guys. And it, it just makes the whole thing better. It, it provides a little bit of a safety blanket for if Nestor Cortez is going to, is going to, you know, he's blowing past his previous innings highs, you know, what's going to happen there. You know, some of those, you know, even Jordan Montgomery, some of these guys, you know, aren't guys who've gone, you know, full seasons of innings and postseason. So here's Montas. Hopefully he stays in one piece long enough, but he does have the stuff to start your second game of your postseason. I'm wondering if Lou Trevino ends up being a bit of a sneaky addition for the Yankees, if there's something they might change with him, because I've been very skeptical of him as a high leverage late inning reliever. And if a team like the Yankees makes a move for him, there might be a good reason for that. So that's something I'm interested to see here in the, in the weeks ahead. I had a fun moment. I was sitting with the scouts watching uh, Lou Trevino pitch and uh, they all sort of asked me, like, what does the model say? <laughs> you know, like, let's let's test it here. You know, we do this for a living. What does your model say? Come on, bust it out. And I was looking at it. I was like, dude has five or six pitches, but only three of them are good. I don't know why he throws the other three. He should just stop throwing the four seam and the cutter like right now. You know, I don't know why he does this. And they were all like, Hmm, that's all right. And I, and I, it, you know, it kind of speaks to me a little bit like um, this is where I got a little bit scouty where I said, it's like nervousness about his stuff, right? Why are you throwing six pitches as a reliever? That's weird. Well, it's because you don't believe in your stuff. So I think if I acquired him, I'd be like, Hey, this is how good your sinker is. This is where we have it rated. This is how good your, your splitter is. This is where we have it rated. This is how good your slider is. This is where I have it rated. Just throw these pitches, man. These are good pitches. Let's throw these pitches and let's go. So, um, yeah, I think and on anybody with velo that high, uh, I think deserves uh, to you put the upside moniker on them and say, hey, we, if we tweak something, you know, at least he throws hard. Let's get to some moves that the Twins made. They got starting pitching help with Tyler Malley. Three players going back to Cincinnati in that deal. Spencer Steer, Stephen Haar and Christian Encarnacion Strand. And, of course, they added Jorge Lopez earlier in the day through a trade with the Orioles, and it sounds like Michael Fulmer is headed to Minnesota here as well. So two potential additions in the bullpen and one pretty big addition in the rotation. What should we expect from Tyler Malley getting out of great American ballpark? I had him ranked in the 70s, in the mid-70s uh, among pitchers in my last ranking, but a lot of that had to do with Cincinnati because this is a guy who has above average stuff in command on his fastball and slider and, and splitter. Um, and, you know, the just to have that trio of pitches at your disposable, at your disposal, you get him out of Cincinnati. I think I would move him into the last bit of the, the 50s. I see him as somewhere around Alex Cobb, um, you know, as now a, a guy who's going to get your strikeouts. Uh, I think the three, seven, five away ERA for Molly's Molly's career is more indicative of what kind of a, a pitcher he is. So if we're going to get into the whole, like one, two, three, you know, argument again, uh, I don't think the twins got a one, um, and maybe they don't have a one, but, uh, their approach of gathering twos and threes, uh, continues. And I don't think other than maybe Encarnacion, uh, Encarnacion Strand, Strand. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's maybe one of the biggest pieces they gave up. Um, otherwise, I think they did a really good job of getting the underrated group. Michael Fulmer was on my list of, you know, potential steals at the deadline. Um, and, you know, every bit as good as, say, maybe a David Robertson, uh, but cheaper, maybe possibly in trade. I haven't seen the actual return. Um, so, 
you know, uh, I think they did a good job. I think they needed pitching and they got pitching. I, were they ever going to be the team that sends away a lot of players for Luis Castillo or, you know, goes on hard on Frankie Montas? I think we're seeing now that the, that just the truth of the matter is they're not, they're not going to be that team. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. And looking here at Ken Rosenthal's Twitter account, the Phillies are close on Noah Syndergaard. They became pretty active today. I mean, the Phillies have already made a couple of interesting moves. One pretty surprising one, just in the sense that I didn't expect to see Brandon Marsh get traded today. It was Brandon Marsh straight up for Logan Ohapi, one of their top position player prospects, a catcher. I like this trade actually for both teams because it fills clear needs in both organizations. The Angels have been a little crowded in the outfield for a couple of seasons now. It does feel like they're selling low on Marsh at this time, but do you think the do you think the Phillies can maybe get the strikeout rate down and get Brandon Marsh's bat on track either down the stretch this season or possibly in 2023 and beyond? Yeah, I like this comment here. Training Marsh feels like too, too soon to give up on him, but uh, here's another one. Uh, they needed a catcher. Both of these things are true. Um, and so, you know, I was reading along in that trade and I was like, Ooh, Brandon Marsh is a guy who barrels the ball, plays really good center field defense. He fills a need the Phillies have. They would have him for a long time. I'd like it. I'd like, Oh, cost him Logan. Oh, like, Oh, <laughs> cause I just know that internally they love Logan and you know, the metrics are really good on him as a guy who can make contact and make powerful contact. Um, an offensive catcher, maybe as we're headed into the time of uh, automated balls and strikes, I think we might only be a year, two years out from having automated balls and strikes. All of a sudden, being able to have an offensive catcher gives you a, a, a really big boost uh, on the competition where we the other teams will have to sort through all the framers, <laughs> all the sort of below average offense framers they have that are no longer uh, have a useful skill for baseball. That's going to be a sad moment. But um, <laughs> uh, I believe in Marsh uh, for fantasy purposes. I think this is a good move for him. It's a nice uh, offensive landing for him. Uh, also, I just like the idea that he's going to work with a new hitting coach. There's something in there that I see. I see the raw power with the exit velo. The max exit velo is high. I see the barrel rate. And then I just see that he chases a little bit too much and he doesn't walk and he strikes out too much. I just feel like there might be one tweak in his approach, maybe even more than his mechanics, uh, that that might allow him uh, to, to really shine. So I think that he has more upside to me uh, than Mickey Moniak. And so I think that, uh, you know, in some ways this was a good trade, although I think it'll hurt a little bit with Logan O'Hop. 
And if they get Syndergaard, uh, I like it too. Uh, he's a guy who has multiple pitches in command. He's more of a uh, a get you there guy than a what do we do when we're there guy. I think we've been sort of creating that dichotomy on our shows. It's like get you there means get you to the playoffs. I don't know if I want him starting game one, but they got Aaron Nola. Maybe he's fine for game two if you got the quick hook. Uh, some days, you know, the fastball is bad. Oh, oh, we got the. What's a popular Dodgers demand? Blue Jays? What? <laughs> what? Mitch, what are those two teams doing? What is happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what we'll is happening? Wait till on that we get one. the details on that. But Well, I would love to see uh, yeah, Mitch White possibly get an opportunity somewhere else if that's what this is about. So we'll get some more details on that momentarily. While we await that, let's take a look at the Astros moves at this deadline. They were part of a three team trade. Trey Mancini ends up in Houston. Jose Siri goes to the Rays. Prospects moving in that deal as well. And of course, the Astros are the team that acquired Christian Vasquez from Boston in a separate trade. Emmanuel Valdez, kind of a sneaky uh, pickup for the Red Sox. I think he was going to have to be added to the 40-man roster this offseason. So maybe a slight win for Boston, just getting someone that wouldn't have been available without that 40-man crunch. Uh, But as you look at what the Astros have done with about five minutes to go before we hit the deadline. Uh, they also added Will Smith in a swap with Atlanta for Jake Odorizzi. Did they fix their flaws to the point where you feel like they're ready to go for October? I like the Trey Mancini upgrade. I think that uh, they needed help there at first DH, you know, it, you know, they needed another bat. And, um, you know, one thing about Mancini that uh, that hurt him was that change in the outfield dimensions in Baltimore. He's a right-hander, and they took away his pull power alley, uh, and I think that was a big part of why his power went down. Well, good news is you go to the Astros, and uh, you know they have the Crawford boxes. They have this really nice low-hanging uh, power alley for you. So I could I could see him. You know, he's only projected to hit, you know, nine more homers. I could see him kind of going off, quote unquote, and hitting like 15 homers uh, over the next two months. Uh, just getting, you know, just depositing them in the Crawford boxes. Um, that isn't uh, maybe as big a splash as some people wanted them to make. But the Astros are such a good team that are just up and down. You know, they weren't really desperate for anything at this deadline. So I think just adding uh, something that didn't cost too much and might fit their ballpark really well and also fits their philosophy of not striking out too much. They're a team that makes contact and makes powerful contact, and Mancini does that for them. Yeah, I think the the moves they made were very measured. They do get better in a few key spots. I think when we thought Wilson Contreras was going to move, Houston was among the most logical places to put him. They didn't necessarily need a big offensive upgrade, but they certainly had room for an upgrade at that position. Getting Vasquez provides that. Uh, Getting Mancini over Yuli Gurriel, I think, offers that as well. And I think Will Smith, I mean, when you take a situation like the Astros have where they actually had a few innings to spare with Lance McCullers getting close to returning from the IL, flipping Odorizzi for a possible late-inning high-leverage arm, and Will Smith makes that bullpen one deeper as well. That's very much, I think, the, you know, do we do something, uh, do we do something that for, for there or do we do something for getting there? And I think they said, you know what, we're, we're going to get there. So let's do something for when we get there. Um, and I think Will Smith was just a better fit because 
they do have multiple pitchers that can go long, and Will Smith fits more of that, you know, get lefties out sort of uh, philosophy. The trade seems to be Mitch White uh, to Toronto for prospects. Uh, I agree with one of the commenters that said, why would you go to the Dodgers uh, to get someone that you think you can tweak? The Dodgers are really good at, uh, at, at tweaking pitchers. The one thing I would say, I guess, is he still throws two times as many four seams as sliders, uh, and his slider is rated much more highly than his four seam by, by my model. So I could see them um, not only uh, you know, tweaking that difference and having him throw the slider a lot more, um, but also maybe the, uh, the changeup, uh, throwing that more too. So maybe they have something they see there, uh, in white's profile in my model overall, it says he's a guy with okay stuff, a really good slider, nothing much else and, uh, below average command. Um, not, not necessarily someone that popped in my model as, uh, someone to acquire, but I do know that the blue Jays, uh, have their own sort of stuff and command numbers internally. And that sometimes, uh, mine have not been exactly the same as theirs. Uh, so maybe they see something in that changeup or in that uh, profile that they like better than my model likes. I also don't think Mitch White's that bad. Like <laughs> pitching right. depth is hard to get and he's good. More you can depend on than, than, than Nate Pearson right now. Sure. Uh, oh, look at this. That's why Jordan Montgomery left town jordan montgomery is leaving the yankees he left town <laughs> i didn't realize he left town well i was like why is he going to the cardinals uh oh but, wow uh, here you go yeah looks like we're getting we're getting some news here that uh he might be traded for harrison vader yeah jack curry of the yes network has the yankees sending jordan montgomery to the cardinals for harrison bader so there's a, a late trade i wasn't expecting a center field defense has been a bit of a, a concern for the Yankees because there's though, even though Aaron Hicks has been playing well offensively, I think that, um, you know, he's not, he's be, has be, he's beyond his peak uh, defensively. So I guess you put Bader in center more often and you move Hicks around. Uh, it probably means less playing time for Bader, but, uh, but if you trade Jordan Montgomery for Bader, I think you might be installing him in center. Yeah, you're definitely you just, planning on playing Bader. Just gave up field. something real. Yeah, yep, for sure. I so. think there's still going to be a lot of news coming in over the next half hour. <laughs> yeah. Even though the deadline is in about a minute, we know that there are things that are, as long as the paperwork's filed, we're just waiting to get confirmation that things actually came through. So don't be surprised if a few more names uh, trickle in in the next little while. Looks like we do have more details on the previously mentioned possibility that Noah Syndergaard was on the move. It is going to be Noah Syndergaard going to the Phillies with Mickey Moniak and Yadiel Sanchez going back to the Angels as part of that deal. Jason Stark of The Athletic just tweeted that a few minutes ago. So you, know, you mentioned Thor before. He's not the pre-injury Thor, but he's still at least a mid-rotation sort of starter. Yeah, actually, I should have mentioned this when we were talking about Tyler Malley. There's only three starters available or traded at this deadline that had both above average stuff and command. Uh, Malley had like a 100.9 stuff, so he barely makes the list. But that was uh, Malley, Castillo, um, and and Montas. So that's one class of guys who do can do both things. And then, you know, Syndergaard was the best of the rest in that he had the best uh, command of anybody and the widest pitch mix. 
he's a little bit closer to Quintana than you may want to, to, to hear because he's not, he doesn't have the same stuff as he used to, uh, but he has more pitches than Quintana. Um, and I think there's still some tweaks he can do. Like, for example, he showed up on my list of underthrown pitches, high stuff pitches that weren't thrown enough. And that was the curveball. He started throwing the curveball more. Um, so maybe that's something the Phillies will have him do too, is, is just stop throwing the four seam, man. <laughs> yeah. Still more to come. We'll keep an eye out for other trades as we continue breaking down some of the things that have already happened. Um, we should talk about the Dodgers for a minute because they're on the list of teams where I expect other move. I think something else has to happen as it stands right now. It's Joey Gallo in uh, Chris Martin for bullpen depth. Clayton beater was sent back to the Yankees in a one-for-one one swap for Gallo. And right now, that's one of the more surprising deals of this deadline. I didn't really expect the Dodgers well, to be the team to take the chance on Gallo. You know, I, I wonder, you, you have the Mets and the Dodgers, who uh, both uh, are expensive teams, teams that have spent a lot of money on the teams they have right now, both teams that project in the top three that have been really good teams all year, um, and both teams that maybe have had more mellow deadlines right and i think maybe that's on purpose you know you're seeing some really big names being thrown around this year i think there's more higher prospects than usual being traded this year and i think with the the mets and dodgers they just said hey we have a really good team what like we were gonna really if we're going to improve our team slightly in the margins anyway uh let's just improve our team slightly in the margins and do it for cheap, <laughs> you know? So like, let's get Darren Ruff to, to, to hit, uh, you know, hit right. It hit lefties and let's get Vogelbach to hit lefties. And uh, for the Dodgers, let's, uh, let's just, you know, take a flyer on Gallo. He's going to be better than Jake lamb. You know, let's take a 80 raw power guy and see if our pitching, our hitting coaches can, can uh, get, or maybe just making him feel wanted. Have you seen those uh, Q and A's that have come out from Gallo, the piece that Lindsay Adler did, like, just make him feel like he's wanted and he's in a place where he's valued and maybe uh, he'll relax and, and stop pressing uh, and, and, uh, and be a useful part of that team. I mean, it's not improbable. He's been a, a really good uh, player in the past. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think I can see the Mets and Dodgers. Uh, this makes sense to me. And, and it's a little bit annoying because if you're a team of, you're a fan of a front running team, you're like, Hey, go get Soto, go get even get better, get better, get better, get better. Uh, but they're really good teams, you know, like Michael Gibbons, really good player. You know, it's not uh, Josh Hader, but it costs you a lot less. And Michael Gibbons throws, you know, that, that, that same kind of low slot uh, overhand, you know, type deceptive pitch that I think, uh, maybe a lot of people in the AL East, I mean, the NL East have seen, you know, and if you haven't seen Michael Gibbons much, you're probably going to whiff a fair amount. So, um, you know, I, I like the, I like what the Mets have done. I like what the Dodgers have done. It's just a uh, very s small, small stuff. Got another breaking news trade to pass along. Mark Feinstein, MLB.com has Whit Merrifield going to the Blue Jays for Samad Taylor and Max Castillo, who you've talked about a few times as an interesting young pitcher so uh, obviously i would imagine the royals have or the jays have some assurance that Whit merrifield is going to get vaccinated and be allowed to play in home games uh, which he sort of said he might for a contender which is a strange so i, I strange guess we're left to assume that that's going words. to happen <laughs> but the royals have had such a difficult time developing pitching 
Max Castillo, this is a pretty clear path for him to get a lot of innings in the near future. Yeah, and the model likes his fastball shape, which is a great first step. Uh, it it uh, it doesn't love the changeup, but I would say that this that models in general, stuff models in general, as I've heard from uh, team uh, people, analysts, uh, you know, they struggle with changeups, and there's often a look at the results that the player has on the train on the train changeup before you look at uh, at your stuff number, basically. Uh, so you got the you got the good fastball shape, which is really important because the Royals have a hard time developing fastball shape. Um, and then you look at a changeup uh, that's gotten above average whiffs. Um, and uh, let me see here what else it's done. Uh, it's been hit for a decent ISO, but there's a 216 batting average against it so far. So you know there's a that's that that's the that's the core there. But he also throws uh, a, a curveball and a slider that um you know there's just so few of that I, I wouldn't necessarily breathlessly report the numbers but they have above average stuff so four pitch mix um and a tbd on the changeup, good fastball shape i think he instantly becomes one of the better pros like one of the better young pitchers on the royals team in terms of who i'm excited about because the only thing i can say otherwise is that they have lynch who has many pitches but none are that good uh, and then they have Heasley, who has a good slider, but uh, has seemingly having trouble putting together on the field. So, um, you know, I I'm not that big a fan of Brady Singers, but perhaps he's the best now guy. And then Max Castillo is one of the better uh, future guys for them. For the for the Blue Jays on the side, I think with Merrifield is another attempt to do what they did with Rymel Tapia, which is to give their lineup that different look, you know, they have the big boppers. They have the guys who can hit the ball hard. Let's improve our ability to make contact. Let's be able to run the bases. It didn't work with Ronald Tapia. So I'm hoping they get a better result on the Whit Merrifield trade, because that's what Whit Merrifield brings you primarily. He does not hit the ball hard. Uh, he can get on base, but it's mostly about uh, putting the ball in play and running around. Yeah, the Jays made a move earlier in the day with the Marlins, adding some bullpen depth, getting Zach Pop and Anthony Bass back as part of a trade for Jordan Groshans. Uh, as far as Pop and Bass go, how do they look in the model and, and how much of an impact do you think they have in that relief core? They're really good. Uh, um, you know, Bass is is has a straight fastball, but once he because when he went to the bullpen and threw real hard, you know, was, he can kind of throw past his his shape a little bit. Uh, but he also throws a ton of sliders now. That's something new for him, and that's that's helped him look better. Um, and I think the same thing might happen for Zach Pop because the model really likes his slider, uh, but it's his sinker that he's been using a ton of to get ground balls. They, they said in the announcement of the trade, it's a little bit like Zach Britton, um, they, they think that there's a power sinker there that can really get the ground balls. However, if I had Zach Pop, I might go 50-50 slider sinker usage, get more strikeouts and the ground balls. Um, and so I think that's a certain possibility for him. Either way, Pop is underrated and he hasn't even hit arbitration yet. So this is a, a long term and short term deal. And Groshans uh, just doesn't hit the ball hard. I know he's uh, still some high on some prospects list. And he, I think that's just an artifact of where he was picked and where he was in the past. He does not hit the ball hard. If you do not hit the ball hard, your 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 ceiling as an outcome, I think, is a utility player. I see he could be like a Mauricio Dubon or something. I don't think that's. Uh, that Dubon himself has been traded multiple times for relievers. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think this was a fine trade. That part was a fine trade for them.
we'll see how the Whit Merrifield one works out. Yeah, I think Gro- with Groshans, like you have to look at the <laughs> you have to look at the Jays' willingness to move a similar situation a year ago. Austin Martin was still more highly regarded at the time of that trade, but Austin Martin being part of the Jose Barrios deal may have been a sign that they didn't see some of the things they were hoping to see from him in the contact quality numbers as well. Uh, so really strange deadline though for the Blue Jays. I thought they were among the teams that might be a little more aggressive with the upgrades. We'll see if they get something else that comes in here in the last few minutes. Seeing a tweet from Ken Rosenthal that the Cubs are not trading Wilson Contreras and they're not trading Ian Happ. Now I think Happ's got one more year left. Contreras, they could give the qualifying offer at the end of the season and maybe possibly work out a long-term deal. Probably but change lot, the math. A lot of hugs for, for nothing. That probably changed the math on Contreras, honestly, because whatever prospect you're coming in, you have to think is going to be better than the pick you're going to get, the prospect you'll get with that pick. So you're kind of trying to model out the pick, pick that you'll get, the player you'll get, and then you're trying to compare that to what people are offering you. And, and then outside chance that you sign him to an extension because he's been an important part of that team and catchers don't grow on trees. And like I said, if it goes to automatic balls and strikes, Wilson Contreras becomes one of the best catchers in the game. Robert Murray of Fansided reporting the Giants have not traded Carlos Rodon or Jack Peterson, so they are staying put. I the think Giants... that makes sense. If you look at the deals that they made, they 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 were kind of like treading water type deals, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, you you send out Darren Ruff, you get JD Davis. I think Ruff equals Davis. You wouldn't, for example, you would not project a player to have um, to have reverse platoon splits. And so people are saying, oh, J.D. Davis had reverse platoon splits. That's something that's happened in very tiny samples. If you look at his like his actual plate appearances versus, you know, lefties and righties, he hasn't even had a lot of plate appearances overall. So you just wouldn't project him to have reverse platoon splits going forward. So Davis and Ruff, I would describe them as such. They're both righties that are projected to be about 10 percent better than league average uh, and can't play defense. I don't care which one I have, honestly. I mean, yeah. I would take the guy with more team control and it was cheaper. You know, like I think they're the same guy. Um, maybe the Mets are just like, nope, Ruff is doing it this year. And that's all we care about. We want this year guy uh, this year, J.D. Davis, rather than wait around for J.D. Davis to do what he's supposed to do. But the Giants can afford to to wait around for J.D. Davis to do what he's supposed to do and collect a little bit, collect some interesting players along the way. I know we're 10 minutes out from all the pencils down tweets, which are just inevitable fun part of the trade deadline every single year. But as suggested, more deals are rolling in. Robert Murray, who I just mentioned, has a tweet. The Braves are acquiring Rysel Iglesias from the Angels, sending back Jesse Chavez and Tucker Davidson. So we'll see if there's anything else involved in that trade. But Tucker Davidson is having a nice year at AAA, kind of an extra pitcher in Atlanta's organization right now. We know the Angels are looking for pitching anywhere they can find it. And at least if he ends up in Anaheim, Tucker Davidson gets a pretty long window at the end of this season to be a starter at the big league level. And I imagine he'd get a chance to open 2023 in that role for the Angels as well. Yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, I'm, a, I'm a little bit, I think Tucker Davidson's okay. He's not somebody I would have uh, tried to get. Um, I think Rizal Iglesias makes the Braves a lot better. Uh, and, um, you know, I think it was, it's an okay deal. You know, I think it's it probably, they would have gotten better d- return if they'd paid it down some, but uh, the Dodge, the Braves are like, fine. You know, we, we like, uh, we'll pay that money. It's fine. Um, and it is interesting to think about that in tandem with Kenley Jansen, um, and some of the injury issues he's had, are they willing to pay that sort of money going forward for two closers? 
Uh, but that's something you figure out next year, I guess. So we are going to hit a really quick break to check in with one of our sponsors. So stay with us. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thing we're staring at right now, of course, on the Twitter feed, are there more moves happening? That Iglesias trade we were just talking about is one that I I didn't think that was going to happen. I'd seen his name in a few stories, in a few tweets, but I didn't think the Angels were necessarily going to move him right now. Yeah, um, and I should check uh, Tucker Davidson a little bit closer. Um, you know, not a good fastball shape. Um uh, Curveball looks like a league average pitch and the slider can be a league average pitch. So um, maybe you can uh, really dial down the four seam fastball if he can command uh, the slider for, for strikes uh, and try to get a 30, 30, 30 guy out of him where he's hiding the fastball. Still a chance that he's a, a, a starter, uh, you know, long term. So I guess it's, it's worth it for the Angels. Also, uh, as some commenters are pointing out, um, you know, does open up uh you know some salary for them to play with next year yeah if that's what they're after financial flexibility <laughs> they're getting it atlanta taking on that salary and it's uh you know rough if you are playing fantasy baseball and you were looking for saves from rice Iglesias, he's gonna have a harder time getting those in atlanta given the crowd in that bullpen so a bit of a salary dump there for the angels uh, let's talk about a few teams that have had weird deadlines and if we get keith back in we'll of course bring him up and talk to him but the red sox what do you make of the Red Sox deadline? We talked about Christian Vasquez getting flipped to Houston earlier. They added Tommy Pham in a trade. They brought in Reese McGuire to backfield at catcher. So it's going to be Reese McGuire and Kevin Ploiecki behind the plate. And then earlier in the day on Tuesday, when we for a moment thought that Eric Hosmer could somehow derail the Juan Soto trade with his no trade clause, that didn't happen, of course. But then Boston swooped in and ended up making a move to get Eric Hosmer. So Hosmer, Pham, and McGuire in, Vasquez out. Are the Red Sox just trying to stay afloat until they get healthier? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, the, the Red Sox were getting some of the worst production in baseball out of their first base slot. Um, and uh, the Padres in the leaked deal for Soto had already sort of demonstrated that they would pay down, uh, you know, most of the Hosmer deal. So it was like, it wasn't a question of, uh, oh, you know, do we get Hosmer and pay him 39 million plus the, you know, the four or 5 million left on this year? Um, you know, or it was obvious that it was out there that, uh, that, you know, the Padres would pay down 39 million of it supposedly in the Soto deal, like the rest of it. So now you're just talking about, do we want Eric Hosmer for 5 million over the next three years or four years? Uh, and I guess that makes it more palatable. I think it's interesting that, 
um, a prospect of any sort went back to uh, the Padres. Uh, I guess they were just trying to stay under the luxury tax uh, threshold this year. Maybe they did it. Um, and then um, uh, they got Jay Groom, uh, who uh, has had a wild ride uh, through his development. Um, and uh, there's a he's got a great story, a crazy story of uh, of just uh, just just up and down his whole life. He's trying to get back into uh, the big leagues. I think he has a chance as a reliever at this point. The strikeout rate, the swing strikes have been dropping over time. But if you look at all that through the lens of could he be a great lefty reliever for us, uh, I think that changes things. And if you got a lefty reliever and $5 million and got Hosmer off the roster, uh, I think that was a little bit of magic by A.J. Preller. The Mets, we talked about him a bit before with the Darren Ruff addition. J.D. Davis is out. They sent three minor leaguers back to the Giants as well. Thomas Zipucky, Nick Swak, and Carson Seymour all going the other way. Uh, people are frustrated with the Mets right now, Mets fans especially. Michael Givens also added. So when you look at what they did and you think about Jacob deGrom, who's been uh, an ace in the hole, the, the player you've been waiting for to come back, coming back on trade deadline day, no less, what could the Mets have done differently? What should the Mets have done differently at this deadline at a time when everybody else who's contending was so active. I, I think they were blocked a little bit in that they had these like high pressed free agent acquisitions at all these positions. So what are you going to do? Are you going to tell Edwin Eduardo Escobar that, you know, are you going to DFA him or are you going to like, you know, push him, you know, into really part-time role by acquiring a, a third baseman when there wasn't really, a, am I missing a third baseman that was traded? I guess Drury, you're going to, Pull in Drew. I guess you could pull in Drury, but you know, I think that they were like, "Hey, if we want a right-hander, it doesn't need to be one that plays the bases because we've got Escobar. We've got we've got some flexibility in in the defense thing." So, yes, I think that's this is the biggest. Uh, I think this is the biggest thing they should have done, could have done. I think they should have gotten Wilson Contreras, right? Because then <laughs> then they have no holes anywhere. Wilson Contreras didn't go anywhere. It's not like you lost out because some other team came in with better prospects or prospects that the other team wanted more than your guys. You just you didn't do it. Yeah, and I guess the you know the Mets drew a line. Uh, I think Vientos. If if the line was we we won't trade Mark Vientos. Mm, I like Beatty a lot more. I can see not wanting to trade Beatty. I can see not wanting to trade Alvarez. Uh, but Vientos. Uh, I don't know. Why Why couldn't you have traded Vientos and gotten Robertson and Contreras? Then you get two rentals that help your team. Uh, I just feel like I think that might have been a, a miss there. But um, maybe their internal valuations are very bullish on Vientos. That's, that's totally possible. There are people who love Vientos. Get to a few more teams. Uh, I mentioned the Brewers a little earlier as being a, a bit of a puzzling team. So far, no late moves from them. You know, The Cardinals making that late trade with the Yankees. Also added Jose Quintana and Chris Stratton. So with Montgomery, Quintana, and Stratton, did the Cardinals do enough to fix the pitching woes they have in the rotation? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. They must be they must bet on command, but they also employ Dakota Hudson. So um yeah, I I zing. I like I like uh I like Quintana as uh as like a low level, didn't cost much. I thought that was a great acquisition. That was that's great because 
you know, give a season to season, you bet on stuff. But in season, if a guy's showing good command, hey, this is a guy who's done it before. He has three pitches. He has good command. Like, you know, he can get us there. He's not a guy you will not want to start in your second game. He's not a what do we do when we're there guy. But they, the Cardinals need to get there, you know. So, like, I like the Quintana. Stratton is an undervalued guy with a really big hammer curveball that can help in the bullpen. He can also still, still maybe do some double innings. So, you know, that, uh, uh, that I think that trade I love Montgomery for Bader. Uh, you know, when we did the, do you remember when we did the player tiers to start the year? Yeah, it's a while ago. Uh, and, uh, people were very, uh, split on Harrison Bader. And we talked to a few scouts and there, a few scouts just said, we don't think he has the bat, uh, to, to play basically. Uh, wasn't really a question about his glove. And here's the Yankees team that's saying, no, 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 we like his bat enough. Um, and, uh, and you know, the things that I used to like about Bader as a bat have fallen away in a way. You know, like he used to be a guy who barreled the ball, but he doesn't – now he barrels the ball at basically below average for a starter. So you've got a guy who's okay offensively. He's a guy who's going to be worse than league average offensively, who's good defensively. I guess what the Cardinals are saying is his defense is only going to get worse. And we've seen the best of his offense. Let's just install Carlson in center. I mean, that makes sense as far as how they're going to backfill. And if the Cardinals couldn't get more out of Harrison Bader's bat by now, it wasn't going to happen there. But with the organization change and the park change, there's a little bit of extra reason to be optimistic about what could happen with the move to the Bronx for Bader. Yeah. Um, yeah. The park change. I think that's, that, it's a weird thing though, because that doesn't change his true talent, right? That's like something for fantasy. I was like, yeah, yeah. I like Bader in New York better. <laughs> that's a good trade for me as a, you know, I've got Bader in some fantasy leagues and dynasty leagues. I like this trade, but as a, in a terms of true talent, it doesn't change it unless they see those old barrel rates and they say, we think we can get him back. Like if you can get Bader back to barreling the ball, even 8% of the time, then he's going to have league average power and he's shown league average plate discipline. And this year he's has better than league average strikeout rate. So you could say as a team, can we Frankenstein him? Can we like put together the best parts of him? Like where we've got this discipline from these two years and this strikeout rate from these two years and this barrel rate from these two years. Can we make this happen? Or maybe even can we just go back to the one that struck out more but hit the ball harder? You know, maybe he's going to get rewarded in this ballpark more often. And we think that's a better approach for him. Either way, uh, it's an interesting trade. Um, I think the Cardinals needed Montgomery probably more than they needed Bader. That makes sense given their depth. I'm surprised that after adding a pitcher, which made sense with the Severino injury, I'm looking at this Yankees rotation, yeah. and it, it's Cole, Montas, Nestor Cortez, Tyon, Domingo Herman for now. Eventually, Luis Severino moves back in. Like That's, that's the part I'm really not sure about and maybe there's still something hanging out there we're 20 minutes past pencils down now so the hope is fading a little bit but did the yankees give up a true like mid-rotation starter in jordan montgomery do you buy him as being that good that impactful who's that jordan montgomery yeah, no, I I mean, yeah, I mean I I don't know if I'd make him when we get back to this conversation is he a one or a two? He's like uh, a three. He's, yeah, he's a three, but he's I mean, everybody needs a three, you yeah. know, and the Yankees, the Yankees need a three. Um, 
uh, Herman to me is a guy that I would be very excited to push to the bullpen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I think it, he could he could see some uh, some some growth there in terms of the velo going up, in terms of not throwing uh, certain pitches more. Uh, who's is it? Clark Schmidt is he hurt? Luis Heel, you know guys like that. Well, he have has always a, been... he's, he's got he's Todd Tommy John. Right. So I mean, so, like just in the very short term, who's pitching? I guess it's just Herman. It has to be Herman in the short term. Yeah. I mean, this is it's it's wild to me, dude. It's like it's like this is a team that could do anything, and they're just like, we got five started pitchers. Here we go. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, Clark Schmidt. That's the guy that must be. They must say he's our depth. He's optioned to AAA. He's pitching pretty well in AAA, at least by strikeout rate. Um, my model likes him. So, you know, uh, let me see what I got on Clark Schmidt. I think, I, I, I guess they say we got Clark Schmidt. Yeah, he looks like a good pitcher. That must be it. Clark Schmidt must be the answer. Yeah, Davey Garcia still in the system at AA. Had a finger injury. I think he just recently got healthy again. So we'll see if there's uh, maybe a bullpen roll or something for him at some point. But that yeah, because you need was a like long guys too, right? Like you need guys that were starting pitchers to come up and be kind of long guys. So, um, anyway, yeah, and that's a good point too by James Rogers. It's not like you know there's there were some other guys that might have been able to step in. Uh, that are now on other teams. So uh, they, this is a real bet uh, on the guys they have and uh, and not suffering any more injuries. I'm rapidly scrolling through the uh, timeline just to make sure nothing else has actually come through in the last 10 minutes or so. Nothing jumping off the page at the moment. A uh, couple of questions just about the long-term situations now. I, I don't think we're going to be able to get Keith. I think we're having some technical issues getting him uh, on the screen. So I'm looking at what the nationals got back. And I, I got to say like for a team that probably had a bottom five, bottom seven system pretty easily going into the day, they picked the right team to trade with. What do you think about the nationals future? Trading Juan Soto is terrible if you're a nationals fan, but if you're going to do it, you have to get a haul back. And I think this is about as well as you can do in terms of, of ceiling and floor and of high volume of players that can actually change your franchise for the long haul. Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard because you're like, okay, well half of these guys won't make it. And it's, it's like the, that's the saddest thing about prospects, you know, half of them won't make it. And, 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 and you're like, Oh, Oh, these we're really excited about these guys. And then you look at the rankings. Like when I see that, I saw somebody, and a joke. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, this guy is huge. He hits the ball really hard. He's basically William McCovey. Oh, so he must be the best prospect in baseball, right? No, it's around 40. Right. <laughs> and if you think about it, like 40 is best. Uh, the bus rates down there are worse than 50%. So uh, I like James Woods, and he might be the star of the deal, uh, but he's also 6'7", and, you know, not every 6'7 guy who hits for power ends up being Aaron Judge, you know? So, uh, you know, there was that guy, was it Singleton for the, the Astros? 
Yeah, Jonathan Singleton. He was a real tall guy that uh, that hit for power. I, I'm not saying that because Singleton Woods won't, but I'm just saying like, you know, so half these guys won't work out. So y- you could just be like, oh, I'm going to be cynical. I've got I've got people in my group chats that are like this. They say CJ Ambrose doesn't hit the ball hard. He doesn't. He doesn't hit the ball hard. Uh, can he, you know, scratch out an existence not hitting the ball hard or learn to hit the ball hard because he's young? Sure. But, you know, CJ Abrams doesn't hit the ball hard. Hassel, there's not really an obvious uh, a problem with him other than just that sometimes it doesn't work out. So, you know, I had some I, I had a scout put a Mark Kotze comp on him. And if that is work, that is working out. Right. That's there's a also, good major league player. There's also working out and not being Juan Soto. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, well, yeah, you, if, you didn't get you didn't get a Soto back. It doesn't work yeah. like that. That's just not that's not how this game is. And Susana is like super exciting. He throws the ball hard. He's also super young. He could end up being a reliever. What if you got Mark Kotze and like even a really good reliever? Like say you got Mark Kotze and Aroldis Chapman and John Singleton out of this deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's three more players on the screen. Come on. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm seeing CJ Abrams is uh, if he doesn't hit the ball hard is. Uh, I mean, yeah, I guess he could still be like a Luxian type player, right? Where yeah, Lux doesn't hit the ball hard and he provides value to his team. My biggest issue with doesn't hit the ball hard is when we're talking about players that are as young as CJ Abrams mm-hmm. is. I don't think CJ Abrams is done growing. I think you get a, you get to a point, I'm not saying we should ignore it. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. And it certainly could be a lower ceiling than expected, but we're talking about a 21-year-old that can get a lot stronger. If C.J. Abrams is still hitting the ball at the same exit velocity as when he's 24, at 20, as he is at 21, all right, great. I don't know if we're far enough into the process to know that with a lot of confidence that what you see now is what you get with a 21-year-old in terms of we've, exit velocity. We've seen a little bit with Wander Franco. Where it's like, oh, he doesn't hit the ball hard enough, and then he's hitting the ball harder, and then he got hurt, and there's there's steps forward, steps back. Yes, I'm willing to I'm willing to give that. And also, I'm also interested in this. You know, uh, this is a good point here that. Uh, top fives uh, do work out more often. They didn't. No top fives got traded unless. Where do you put Abrams if he is still a prospect? Some guys might have him in that top ten uh, bucket. In which case, he'd be the best prospect that was traded at the deadline. But it, it, you know, one thing I was going to ask Keith that I think is interesting is um, so we saw this year we saw an eighteen on his list. We saw an eighteen and a twenty get traded. Um, that was uh, Hassel and Wood. Oh, Marte. Yeah, Marte. Marte and Hassel, I think. That's 18 and 20, right? So you got Hassel and Marte traded. Um, and then you have Wood as like a 40, right? As a 40th in, on his recent update. Um, and then last year I looked and we had um, Austin Martin, who he had sort of 20-something, 20 21 or 22. And then his next one was Kybert Ruiz, Ruiz, who had 50. So, oh, are, is this a trend? Are, are teams loosening up? Or is it just the Padres? <laughs> it's just like a, a massive Padres move that that makes it look like there's a trend. I, I have talked to people internally at teams. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, I think prospects are overrated. And we should if we have a chance, we should make a move. But um, I would say that I'm going to take I'm going to say TBD on whether or not uh, we saw actual sort of sea change uh, this year when it comes to trading prospects. Yeah, I, I think you can't necessarily count this year as a good year that establishes what a normal trade deadline is going to look like because players like Juan Soto are extremely rare in the first place. And it's obviously almost unprecedented for a player like that 
to be traded. I do want to take a look at the return one more time that the Reds got for Luis Castillo, if only because I think this is this is the possible outlier, right? Noel V. Marte, Edwin Arroyo, Levi Stout, and Andrew Moore. It's the two infielders up top because Arroyo is yeah. one of those guys that when prospect lists come out this winter and before the 2023 season, he's going to be one of the biggest movers. Marte was already highly regarded, and maybe Stout ends up being kind of a back-end starter. Moore might be more of a reliever. That could end up being like the, the trade you want to make if you're not contending any given time, where you have a very good, if not elite, starting pitcher that you can trade who's not a rental. That might be your best path to acquiring players that are top 20, top 25 prospects. Wherever you want to draw that line, that might be it. This might be the, the thing you're hoping for for your team if you don't have an immediate win now sort of path. Yeah. Uh, team control is everything. And uh, you know, you, you saw very few rentals uh, return much uh, on this, on this deadline. Uh, but you did see uh, players with team control. Uh, you bring back something, the reds, I think, let me say, I don't think the reds should have sold. Uh, and you know, I don't, I don't, they were, they were a decent team a couple years ago and, and, you know, they could have, they could have just held, held the, held the, the line and, and tried to get better and better every year. Uh, but given that milieu that they're like, they're a seller, I thought they did good, you know, like, uh, Encarnacion Strand and, uh, the two shortstops they got there. That's, that's legit, man. That's, those are some really good, you pair that with Ellie de la Cruz. Now you've got like, now I'm sure that they vaulted up in, you know, there's the Fangraphs has like almost like real time, uh, uh, real time farm rankings. And they said that the Padres uh, dropped to 28th <laughs> during this trade deadline. Um, but I would have to think that the Reds uh, at least pushed, uh, pushed their way into sort of top five, top 10. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to wait to see what Keith says, but uh, you know, I think they did a really good job, you know, uh, improving for the future. Yeah, so a lot to track. And I think one thing that this was that I was thinking about earlier today, if the Dodgers didn't add a position player, to me, that was a sign that they were going to bring up Miguel Vargas. Looks like from the chat, they might be making that move because they've had some lingering uncertainty about the health and performance of both Justin Turner and even to a greater extent, Max Muncie. You and I have talked about that for probably two months now. And I think not trading Vargas as part of a deal to get pitching or whatever it is they wanted. I think that means, Hey, we believe in this guy and he's going to be at least a, a, a part of our team as we try and win a title this year. Yeah. And Vargas is a really exciting player. I think that they I'm checking this, but I think that they were playing him in the outfield a little bit um, because, you know, are you going to bring up Miguel Vargas and just sit Turner a couple times a week? Preventative maintenance occasionally. Uh, maybe you could sit Turner a couple times a week and Muncie against some of the tough lefties. And and, and Vargas is a righty. Uh, I'm I'm salivating a little bit at Vargas because I just love guys who have uh, sub twenty strikeout rates and good walk rates and hit for power that i just love it and then on top of that he doesn't steal a lot of bases where you're like oh he's going to steal 30 or 40 or 50 but he steals enough bases that you're like this is an athlete you know this is not a lumbering slow you know three two comes guy this is a guy who can move 
Um, and uh, so I'm I, I'm excited. I, I I remain a little bit cautious about like how much uh, he's going to play. Uh, it sounds like he's only been playing on the infield. So, but I think you could probably get five times a week out of this Dodgers team. Yeah, you know, four, four to five starts second. a week. Yeah, and uh, uh, maybe that's enough to be like, hey, we at least want to see. And could he edge somebody out? Could he move Muncie to first base all the time and Lux to backup? Maybe. Chris Taylor will be back soon too, which will make things a little bit better in the outfield. So they they may have the too many good players problem again really soon in Los Angeles. Uh, disappointing deadlines. How about the White Sox? Have we mentioned them on the entire show? It's been over an hour, and this is a team that we thought would win the division when the season started and they could still be a playoff team. They could still even be a dangerous playoff team, but a few things have gone wrong. Lefty reliever or something. Jake Diekman, right? Yeah. Who has zero command. That'll be funny. And, and at part, apparently this has something to do with the, the, all these high price relievers they got aren't back to back guys. Very strange that they didn't do more. I I would, would have been sure that they would have been more active little surprised the Rays didn't do more, but I think a lot of that has to do with the, the injuries they have dealt with, most specifically Wander just not being healthy. I don't know if they wanted to push chips in for this season, given the current state of things. Yeah, they did They did go get David Peralta. We're talking about the Rays, right? Yeah. They, we got, they got David Peralta, and, uh, you know, I think he's one of the best. <laughs> T.O., T.O., yeah, Tony is, is napping right now. Uh, did you see that? He was... They caught him on camera napping uh, in the first inning. He was falling asleep. I actually did not see that. I, I was that's what when I was doing it. my vibes reporting back in the day. Like my vibes <laughs> reporting was saying that it was very low energy there, and that's what I was talking about. Um, uh, uh, the Jose Siri move. There we go. Uh, that's the other one. We know that the the Rays had a problem in center, um, and you know Josh Lowe. I thought they might just plug and play Josh Lowe and say, Hey, we're going as far as you're going to take us dude. at least till mighty Marco comes back. But trading for Jose Siri was an eye opening one because he kind of profiles a little bit like Brett Phillips, where he doesn't make a lot of contact, but when he does, he hits it hard. Um, he just makes a little bit more contact than Brett Phillips, I guess enough for them to say, this is exciting. He's also like Brett Phillips, an elite defender. So you get an elite defender in center that has more offensive upside than Brett Phillips. I'm surprised that's worth trading for, but uh, you know, it's Jose Siri and David Peralta, and that's an offensive upgrade for a team that needed offensive upgrade. I think the rest of it is them just being like, you know, the 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 Jacob Degrom move. You know, our post deadline acquisitions are going to be all our guys that are coming off the IL. <laughs> oh yeah, no, the Brewers had a great deadline. They got Freddie Peralta coming back. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, that's just so. Frustrating. What do you want the Rays to do? They they're not even they're not even in it for the division. I don't think anymore. So it's it's just a question of winning a, a wild card round, and and I think they can do that. So you know, it's get better on the margins and and uh, hope for some good luck from the returning guys. I think that's about it. And they've got a lot of young depth, so maybe they wait till the offseason, possibly make moves when there's a 40-man crunch and you know, address their longer-term needs that way. I just thought maybe between Lowe and Bruhan and Jonathan Aranda and Curtis Mead that they would maybe trade one or possibly two of those guys. But we're almost 40 minutes now past the deadline, so we're getting to that point where I'm not expecting more things to happen. If anything does happen, it will be a very pleasant surprise. <laughs> How about this? We're trying to make sense of it, right? What if you just let's avert your eyes from Jerry Depoto and AJ Preller? 
<laughs> don't look at what they've done and look at what the other 28 teams have done. I think it does make sense. There are more teams in the playoffs, so there are fewer there were fewer sellers. Uh, but there are also more teams in the playoffs that aren't getting that first week by and may only get two home or one home game in the playoffs. You know, how much are you going to mortgage for that one home game in the playoffs if if that's all you get? So I think other than AJ and Der- Jerry DePoto, you got a lot of cautious small buys. Oh, even prospect, you know, prospect for prospect, you know, Marsh for OHOP. Like this is that those are all team control. Let's make our team better now and the future. You know, um, yeah, like the Guardians, you know, they just don't I, 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 I guess they just don't have any money. We, we did a show where we said they should have some money, but they're acting like they don't have any money. They do. They just aren't spending it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we are going to wrap things up. Thanks to those of you who check this out live. If you'd like to get a subscription to The Athletic and get one for a dollar a month for the first six months at theathletic.com slash baseball show. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Thanks for watching. The Athletic Baseball Show returns on Thursday. Thursday.